And to which the, my mother-in-law came in and said, oh, what time's kick-off? I said, well, it's in an hour. She said, oh, we could make it, couldn't we? Which I thought I would never have got that. I would never have got that response from football because let's go and watch. And, and it's the, the point is it's about it being more exciting and more going on and more goals, more action. And I think that's why that. So if it's good enough for my mother-in-law, yeah, it's, there's got to be something in it, in it for the kids. Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. In this episode, we're joined by Ian Bateman, Ian is one of the most supportive and genuine people you're ever likely to come across. He's had a huge impact on coaching and coach development across the northwest of England and beyond. Ian currently works as a youth coach educator for the FA and is heavily involved in the development of futsal in this country. We had a wide-ranging conversation about futsal, including his experiences from coaching in a World Cup final, and we also got into Ian's coaching journey and his involvement in grassroots football. If you listen to this and want to get more involved in futsal, then get in touch with your local county FA who can signpost you to local opportunities. And here in Liverpool, we have a very successful youth futsal league running out of Wavertree Tennis Centre on a Monday and Friday evening, and that's called Futsal for All UK. This one had more links to external sources in the show notes than any other episode I can remember, so keep an ear on things as Ian makes some really useful recommendations. So enjoy this one with Ian Bateman. Ian Bateman, welcome to Liverpool. Thank you. Good. Nice journey in on my bike. Yeah, fam- <laughs> familiar to millions in this part of the world. Do you get into the city much at the moment? Not into Liverpool, no. It's it's funny living, living Warrington halfway between Manchester and Liverpool, so it's a great spot, but uh, not not heading that way too often. Too, I'm too busy all around the country, I think that's the problem at the moment. For those listening, what's your current role at the moment and what, what is it that's taking you out around the country? Yeah, no, current role, um, look after the coach education for futsal. Um, basically, in a nutshell, that's that's involving the way it's turning out is looking after sort of stuff within grassroots and in the pro game. Um, generally focusing on boys working in in the academy program in the pro game, um, and then touching on um, the England program as well, which is quite exciting. So that's the really nice bit of of getting to to do some coachingy stuff and, and getting out there working with elite players. So that's. Covering from top to bottom, really. Um, there's only two of us in the, in the futsal department. There's me and Mike Scabala, who came in at the start of last year. Um, so it's a bit of a tough gig uh, in terms of... Having said that, we've got a lot of support around us. So it's uh, yeah, we're going in the right direction. So what's the state of play with coach education in, in futsal at the moment, then? Yeah, no, we've, we're, we're kind of... It's a bit bizarre, though. We're, we're, we're 50th in the world rankings in, um, in the game. And people, th- and we are playing a little bit of catch up in terms of coach ed. We're, we're, I think we're getting recognised as one of the best in Europe um, for some of the materials that we've pulled together. So we've we've got a UA for B course now, which we've had 80, 90 people through. So that's that's been a, a, a massive step forward. Not many countries have, have run a UA for B. We're one of the few English speaking countries that have run one. So we, we, we've got, and then we've got levels one and two that, that feed into the B. Um, 
everything's aligning to, to the football courses that we have. So as there's been a bit of a rewrite on some of the, the, the football coach head, we've gone through the same process. So everything aligns. Uh, and then there's no really real surprises when people come, come on courses thinking it's any different because um, quite clearly the structure should be the same. And it's been really interesting. So UEFA are quite... We get we get um, looked at by UEFA to see how, how the courses lie. And they've been really surprised. So on the... When they've come to assess the B and to see where it fits, they, they <laughs> the initial thing was flipping out, is, is this a pro licence we've come to or is it a UEFA B? Some, the quality mm-hmm. of some of the work that the candidates have pulled together has been of that highest standard. Um, and this was a guy that's been around football and futsal for 40, 50 years and a, as a coach educator and a coach and it, was, it knocked him off his feet actually. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. Um, so what, what's the process that, that you go through with UA for them when they come out and is this to kind of sanction it as a to say that give it the rubber stamp this is a you know UA for B qualification absolutely yeah they don't they don't hand it out willy nilly yeah. same with the football um, they set criteria so the, actually the criteria for the, the futsal B is the same as the football B um, the only difference is the technical detail um, so things around building environment understanding practice you know all, all the things that go on the, the fitness side of things uh, diet and nutrition all that stuff that's in the, the football B goes in the futsal B um, but then there's some differences in, in technical detail so um, that's what we spend most of the time looking at but UEFA will come to check that one um, we're covering the detail that they ask us to, to, to deliver and then how we do that and get that message across they, they do give you some movement in, in you choosing your delivery mechanism so quite rightly it's different in England than it is in Spain than it is in Finland and then that's where we link with football massively because you know we've, we don't want to have a different fo- process for futsal than, uh, than what we do for football Yeah. so when did that UEFA B launch in futsal then? we're on our third year of operation now so we've, we, ju- we run one course out of SGP every year for, which is kind of open access so long you've got a futsal 2 and a football 2 um, and then we'll operate a, a one or two courses a year for people working in the pro game so there's a, there's a lot more going on than people think so there's a, a BTEC program run by the there's probably about 40 um, clubs pro clubs in the UK for 16 to 18 year olds who are training two or three times a week and have a game weekly games program so a lot of those their staff now have got the B um, so the quality of that program with the Football League Trust has gone a lot lot higher and and it looks Interesting, a couple of weeks ago, I went over to Sheffield to see their first years playing. And the, the lads had only been playing futsal for maybe two months, but it looked like a futsal game as opposed to a game of five-a-side. Mm-hmm. And, and futsal people will know quite clearly what I'm talking about, I think. But, you know, teams playing with quite a clear structure in possession and out of possession, dealing with the ball in a, in a different way, um, having some good set pieces, having a, a real plan and... and and it looks like futsal. Um, so yeah, so it's, so I think the coach education bit is really driving that because we, we that initially three years ago it was seen we did CPD for the football league trust and it was different people coming on the course each year and it was like they saw futsal as a as like a, a full time well it gave them some full time work to free them up to work in the evenings in the academy program and it was different faces coming six monthly never mind seasonally where now people are seeing the benefit of the game falling in love with the game and then it's the same lads coming year after year and they're getting better and better and 
yeah, we've found a good opportunities for them there. Great. And I'm just conscious that we've dived right into uh, the depths of futsal and there yeah. may be some people who are listening in who, who, who maybe have never been exposed to the game or never even heard of what it is. So mm. you, you mentioned five-a-side there. So what, yeah, what is futsal? What, what would be the differences between that and five-a-side for someone who's um, maybe not come across it before? Yeah, um, in a nutshell, it's, yeah, it's 5v5. Um, it's played on a hard surface, not on grass, um, not really on, well, not on 3G. It's played on a, a smaller court, probably about 40 by 20 metres. Um, it's got goals that are hockey-sized goals, so not your letterbox-shaped goals. Um, it's played with a ball that has less bounce. So I think if you... if And on the advanced youth horde, we talk about constraints-based coaching. Well, actually, if we change the size area, the ball we're using, the numbers of players, the goals that we're using, well, actually, we're pretty much changing everything we possibly can, yet we've still got an invasion game um, the principles of being small-sided is it's going to things are going to quicken up, but the constraints give us different technical outcomes than what we were getting football. So um, you know, just just by using a different ball that doesn't bounce, it means the players control the ball differently. That's linked to the surface. Um, put the surface in, the ball travels quicker than a football. Um, you get more passing, more short passing, more opportunity to control. Um, when you're receiving the ball, you're receiving it in tight spaces, so you've got to deal with it in tight areas. And um, and one of the, the the rules are really simple, so there's no offside. The only rule really that there's any difference is once the keeper's played it out, it can't go back to him. So it means then you, you're dealing in an underloaded situation. You're dealing four v five because you've you've not got your keeper. So the implication of that is you get more turns for the players the, t- the players have got to deal 1v1 um, it's an absolute punch up it's not flicks and tricks it's not dribbles forget that it's about dealing with the ball 1v1 under pressure and trying to create overloads to, to, to get around your opponents and, and that's the game it's about movement and it's a two touch passing game and it's you mentioned about the keeper there the keeper doesn't always play as a goalkeeper do they I mean one of the frustrations that I have with our traditional model of five a side and I you know I play a game a small sided game every now and then with, with some friends uh, and it, I tear my hair out because the keeper's locked into the little D area and the players can't go in there and you get this situation where in my opinion it doesn't mirror the game no. and, we, and we learn it, it almost play, players learn different things so I use the example of uh, you know players got the ball towards the corner of the goal and you've got players showing them towards goal because that's where the area is that they yeah. can't go in rather than so it kind of flies in the face of the principles of, of the yeah. game yeah I, I don't want to yeah, I, I don't want to go down a route of saying five sides rubbish. No, there's plenty of benefits, of course. Hundred percent, and and I think you know you look at our culture. We like to fight. We like a punch up, and um, we like smashing the ball really, really hard. Um, and that's what you're going to get loads of because the shape of the goals, shooting from outside the box. Let's understand what constraints we're getting from. Um, and then when we see. We've seen quite a bit of in the Premier League um, youngsters in the Premier League programs playing fat, fat, playing on a, on a in cages on 3G, and it looks quite different a week later when they come and play futsal. Um, you know, understand about if if you're playing to lines, you've got to look after the ball, mm. and and possession is everything, and 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 you know, and, and as a defender, using the line as your best mate to force play, play that that's a tool that you've got rather than just smashing them in the back and making them break the nose on the wall is mm-hmm. there written that so it's quite a different it's a different concept altogether and and it's going to help well well I think we're getting some evidence that it's helping players and and 
you know, the Premier League have seen that, that have included it in the EPPP for the games programme for the youngsters. Um, when you're seeing it played at the highest, highest level, it's, it's going to be re really handy. I think your point about the goalkeepers is really interesting. So Edison came out a couple of weeks ago and, and said about he played a lot of futsal as a, as a kid. So when he was picking out 50-yard balls and actually landing it on the money, again, getting keepers to... The keepers are a key part of the game. They're 20% of the team rather than 9% of the team. Um, in a game, typical game, they're having 50, 60 shots to save as opposed to Champions League. It's probably about six or seven. Um, you know, they're getting loads more distributions. So Edison would be getting loads of opportunity to play forward, seeing, you know, breaking two or three lines of defence, looking forwards to, to, to put it on the money for, for certain players. And... He's said about one using his feet, so if you you can play as a kind of a like a fly keeper if you like. Um, so Kazakhstan in the Euros next week will be a threat because they have a, a keeper who's got magnificent feet and and they pretty much play with a fly keeper from the off. Um, so they're getting chances to look after the ball with the feet, play forward, and and also make the save. So you know there's keepers it's a game for keepers not just for, for the outside outfield players as well I'm thinking back to my first experience of it I think it was on some tutor training we were we were being exposed to and this must have been about 10 years ago now and I, I had a game of futsal and instantly thought I've got to play this more and at the time I was working as a football development officer over on the Isle of Man in the county FA there and uh, I remember picking up the phone to Pete Sturgis and saying, what have I got to do to get this going off the ground? Mm -hmm. And um, I was amazed by actually how many facilities were already at, at my disposal. And yeah. we, we quickly got an adult league for men and women going. And I was what really struck me was just how physical the game was. Mm -hmm. and fast forward about two or three years and I found myself so far out of my depth. I, I joined Liverpool Futsal Club and it was just as the National Futsal League was starting. Right. And I remember we, we drew through the snow playing away game in, in Sheffield and I came off the bench and I don't think I've ever been so shattered in my life in such a short <laughs> space of time. It yeah. is just, I don't think in, people that haven't played it appreciate just what a physical game it is. No, no the physical, yeah, physical in a, in a load of different ways. So, um, again, Hungary will have a, a six foot three guy up front called Droth, <laughs> who's an absolute beast. And you look at him and you think well, he's not a futsal player, but his feet are magnificent, um, strong as an ox, and you know he will fight and scrap for half a meter of space. That's that's how he rolls, and, and there'll be a lot of countries like that. The one of the other rules is it's unlimited rolling subs. So um, we will you go with a squad of fourteen, two keepers, these are with twelve. So basically, you could have three banks of four fellas going on court, um, and the tempo of the game is that if you're on, you know, you're looking at working in three or four minute blocks. If you're on court for more than that time, you just become ineffective, you make mistakes and you have a negative impact. So you, you give the ball away, you, you're just not doing anything, you just can't cope. And that would be that would be how a lot of the teams in the Euros will function. It's how we operate as an England team. And we've got the stats to back that up. We've got, um, we've got heat maps about when players are having a positive impact and a negative impact in a game. While you know they've probably got two minutes where they can have that impact and play at that tempo, and heart rate stats are through the roof. They're they're in the red zone. They're, they're busting the gut. Um, so they've got to 
you don't have time to play yourself in. It's no. you, you, you're on and you're going, and, um, and and that's how the game is. And and kind of that, I, th- I think it suits our nature in this country to some extent because we like working hard and we like running fast and running about. Um, what we're not so good at is is being prepared to share the load and understand we've got our bit to do, and then trust your mates to do the next bit. And and you do actually need twelve players to do this rather than you can't do it with four. So um, uh, sorry, yeah. So what, what's your involvement with the national squads at the moment then? So national squads, uh, assistant coach with the national team, so helping um, Scoobs with his work. Um, so we have the lads in every once a fortnight, and then a, a game probably once every two months. We've just had the Four Nations, which we won recently. Yeah, that was up in Scotland, right? Yeah, that was yeah. in Scotland. So. Um, yeah, didn't win the, f- the second time run that good opportunity, but showed that we're sort of ahead of the game a little bit in terms of the other nations uh, locally, which is good because we've probably got a bigger budget and we're spending more time on it. Um, so we see the lads quite a lot. Committed bunch. Some of those lads are playing professional overseas now, which is really good. Um, professional futsal, this is. Professional yeah. futsal, yeah. So a couple of lads playing in Italy, one playing in Spain. Um, so that's that's a massive positive step for us, um, and then if not not doing that, they are they are pretty much futsal specialists playing in the in the Super League. Um, so that's a national league now that that has fixtures weekly. Um, and then on top of that, I'm head coach of the Parsley Sighted team, which is something that was put sort of my entry point into futsal. Um, they had a terrific year last year, and and it's again something that people probably haven't heard about, but it's. Um, won a, a European bronze and then topped that with a world silver just the way they, had, they ended up with two tournaments in six months and, and ended up getting a world silver medal um, which is a phenomenal achievement um, bearing in mind you know budget smaller than a lot of the other countries they play with you know it's, it's super competitive um, competitive environment and an unbelievable achievement for them so we, we're competing and last weekend the, the deaf team they play futsal as well they beat the Swiss um, well, Drew with Switzerland to qualify for sort of the main, the, the finals of the um, of the world, uh, sorry, of the European Deaf Championships. Um, Switzerland are ranked two in the world. So again, we're in disability and futsal, we're picking teams off and doing, and, that, and that's no fluke, absolutely no fluke. Um, so technically we've got better. We, as coaches, we understand the game better. Uh, and we're, we're beating futsal nations at futsal, which is an unbelievable achievement. Um, I think it's a dangerous conversation, this because I, I know I, I liken this to the um, to being on Take Me Out. That if we one, it's bad enough talking about futsal, and that would probably get me about <laughs> half me red lights <laughs> going, getting making that funny noise. And then if I started talking about disability football futsal, then I'd probably get a total. I wouldn't have anyone to choose at the end of it, or them for choose me, or whatever way it works around. So. It's, it's a dangerous game this, nah. but they, I think it needs to be out there because um, there's a massive achievement um, that's being that's being done and, and it, we need to tell that story yeah I think the people that are listening to this podcast are um, are thirsty just to hear about your experiences and about your knowledge and what's going on just curious about what's going on and obviously we'd love to hear about English teams bringing out or being successful yeah it's, it's well England being so before this summit it was funny we, we got to the, the World Cup final in May and at that point that was the first team that, this, this was with this was with the partials yeah. and 
And we had a chat in our sort of management group about, well, who do we phone here to get some uh, advice about playing in a World Cup final? <laughs> and on the basis that Sir Alfred died, there wasn't really many people we could call upon that were English. And I know the summer changed in terms of success for English teams. Um, but at that point, there was nobody. And it, was, it really felt like breaking new ground. Um, yeah. So tell us the story about that then. How, tell us the route and, and give us a little bit yeah, of background of what it's like to be a, a coach in a World Cup final. Yeah, no, it's, it, it was, it's different. For, I think the story about the lads is, the, the, big, the big messages for me about success is um, keeping that group together. So um, I've been involved with the team for eight years. Um, we've got a captain that's got 140-odd caps, Steve Daly inspirational person inspirational leader mm-hmm. um, he's a lot older he's, he's probably well he is he's 40 now so um, he knows and I know and every, yeah, he's pretty much on his last legs and um, and we discuss that a lot but around him there's another group of young lads that's all come through um, youngest being 17, 18 others that are kind of up to 25 who have banked a load of experience in World Cups and top tournaments so they generally have a tournament once a year but it's banking that experience so for myself as a coach banking the experience and going steadily from couldn't get out the group at the start then we get you know then we start getting out the group then we get into semi-finals then for the first time we've managed to win a semi-final which is again is a massive step it's a huge barrier to overcome sort of physically mentally and and just and technically to get over, so we, we've managed to we've managed to pick the other teams off. Um, but I think it's when you're losing in the semi-final two 0 you've gone two 0 down in the first ten minutes. And this is against this is against Russia, who yeah had potential to win the win the tournament. We're two 0 down. Um, we're on five fouls. So so explain that. Explain, yeah, so five fouls. If you if you uh, your sixth foul, seventh foul, eighth foul is a is a is a ten meter penalty. So it's a little bit like basketball in that Abs- sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if you... Um, and a 10-metre fi- penalty is a, probably a 50-50 between your keeper saving it and, and the other team scoring. Um, so to be in that situation, 2-0 down on five fouls in the first half, and you've, and you've got to have absolute belief in drawing on upon situations that you've been in before about getting back into games. And, and I think part of it is... Um, and the, the lads knew that we had a plan and we stuck to the plan and, and we knew we were fitter we knew we were stronger we knew we'd score towards the end of games or had enough in the tank fortunately enough before half time we get back to 2-2 two, two. and that well that was having that absolute belief and reminding the players about what we stood for and, and what our super strengths were rather than thinking crikey we're 2-0 down and, and the, our whole world's falling apart it was no, we just need to bide our time here and, and, and go again. So, um, so what had you as a head coach done in, in preceding that that you knew when you were 2 0 down on 5,000 the first half in the semi final against mm-hmm. Russia, you were comfortable that, that the players had the ability to, to bring that back? Yeah, you see, it ebbs and flows a lot quicker than football, so you can change your, your tactics. You'll change it maybe four, five, six times and a half and change your personnel. One, there were certain lads I probably knew wanted on court to, to deal with the situation because they had probably more experience about it. Um, we had a different way of playing, so rather than going pressing and, and keeping going, we were a little bit more cautious. We'd go and play a little bit deeper and draw the, draw the team on and, um, and go and pick people off. But th- this was something we'd talked about beforehand. Um, not overly, I think there's a fine balance between talking through and scaring players to death, but actually 
having reassurance, look, there's no drama here. We've still got three quarters of the game to go. We, we can deal with this and we'll get back in the game eventually. And yeah, you do need a bit of magic and that's what we got. Um, and that got us back in the game. But a key, a key part was, um, although in your head you're looking at the game thinking, crikey, this is, this is not going away a plan. I think as a coach, sometimes you've just got to put a real um, actor's face on and tell a blatant lie that you're just thinking, yeah, let's trust you here, lads. Let's No, not tr- trust is the wrong word because the, the trust was always there. But give, to give the lads the reassurance that they needed to go, look, remind them about what they're good at and where they're going. But being, although inside, you, you, your whole, you, your stomach's going, you, everything seems to be going wrong. You've got to be the calmest man in the world to put some sense and order into the situation. So what you're having, you can have a timeout in futsal, take sting out the game. That was the first um, thing we did. But then speaking to the lads on the bench before they went on. So although um, the coaching team had to really earn the corn, because although you're watching the game, the assistant coach is making sure that the lads are absolutely clear on strategy, that don't change the plan, stick to what we're doing and give them a reassur- reassurance that you know, we'll, we'll get back in the game and we'll be, we'll be fine. Yeah, so that you said about you wanted to get those those players on court, and you've only got say f- up to four minutes of court time per mm. per player. And just just remind us how how long's um, how long? Yeah, yeah. So the game's twenty minutes each way, but yeah. it's a stop clock. Yes, yeah, a real time. It's a real time. You're probably thirty five minutes. Um, so you've got you you know you want to get those those key players onto the court, but you've only got a limited t- amount of time mm. that they're able to be effective on court. Mm. What, when they come off, yeah. I, I can imagine how chaotic it might be in that environment. And um, when they come off, what's the sort of recovery time before you can get them back on again? Yeah, so it is it is chaos, um, and we do a lot of work, especially with the with, with the mainstream lads, because they will. So it's slightly different in with the partials. We we generally have two bank two lots of four that go on. Um, so you, you, you're, on, you're on for three minutes, you're off for three minutes. So you, you've got a, a pretty much 50-50 rate in terms of recovery and, and, and work. The mainstream lads a little bit different. You've got more lads on the bench to choose from. So you, you, you're pretty much off double the amount of time that you're on um, as a general rule. Although quite often we might just work in with two banks with, with other lads floating in. So, so one, you, you don't want them to burn out mentally, so you want them to relax and refocus so they've got to get the breath back get a drink on board gather themselves because what you want when they go back on you want them back at full tilt mm. um, and the, so the recovery rates are quick what you find with futsal players is the recovery rates is quicker than footballers it's, that's fairly proven um, so then they recover quicker and then they go again um, so you, on, on, the, on a graph of heart rates is real spikes and and lines where it's the, the recovery is happening really quick yeah where it drops quickly um, so yeah you want them to be calm you want them to be focused but then when they get on there you want them to be champing at the bit and, and focused and ready to go so what happened then so you, you tune her down you, you, know, you put your mask on put the mask <laughs> on um, Steve Lady pulled out a unbelievable unbelievable piece of skill and to get us back in the game and, and just turn the tide and 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 it's there's a lot of momentum in futsal. So once once the floodgates open, you can you can really gather a bit of steam. We got back to two all by half time, um, and then within sort of five minutes of the second half, we're out the blocks quick and we're, we're four two up. Um, which then you're into a whole different situation about yeah. If we got 
the feeling was always if we get to, to three in, in, in front we're, we're home and hosed um, two's always a bit twitchy hit five fouls again which again you could go is that a problem well we play a high pressing game which you're kind of going to draw that so the last ten minutes we had to see out with a two goal advantage super strength is that we can defend half court and we've done this in Europe in the European Championships where and, and half court is half court getting to our defending in your own half yeah. dropping off really really quick and then having a, an outstanding keeper that you can trust your life with and lads knowing full well that we've we're going to invite shots but we'll we'll deal with it and we'll di- we'll deal with the pressure um, and we scraped well scraped so we got over line 4-3 unbelievable but it, but again, so going back to, to remind the lads of the super strength about playing half court, that came from, in the Euros, we ended up in a situation where we'd had a couple of lads sent off in a game. Um, nothing, handball and a keeper coming out of the area. So tough, tough decisions to take. But and a couple of injuries, meaning we had pretty much one sub to go and play Ukraine, who are the world champions. Uh, a keeper that had never played VI futsal in the life before and um, needing to get at least a draw against the world champions in, in a group game otherwise we were pretty much we weren't going to win anything um, and four well five outfield lads ground it out wow. um, which was so you draw in that and when I say about experience that's that's what you draw upon so then you, you've gone through you've got a nil-nil against Ukraine who world champions European champions you go and then in your semi-final lads you know we've done this against the world champions why can't we do it against Russia let's go and and the belief was there and, and the lads went and delivered and, and and I think that's the bit you need to go through some adversity and to, to when when it really comes to crunch time it gets you over the line I don't think if we'd had the experience in the Euros six months before whether we'd got over the line against Russia I think we'd have crumbled um, but go back to being English resilience digging deep work rate having that brotherhood amongst your group um, yeah got us over Russia didn't have that tightness of the group um, and they didn't have the technical ability to be able to break us down although they, you could argue they had more technical ability than us but what's wrong with that if we've got a way of playing let's let's be proud of that and, and um, we got the silver medal and they didn't yeah so what, what was the gap then between the semis and the final um, a day a day yeah yeah so things what you're finding for players do recover the intensity is a little bit different um, so the load is is a little bit lower intensity is high but loads lower if that makes sense because yeah. you you full tilt but for shorter periods yeah. um, so players have to recover um, this is where you need a team of experts around you doctors physios um, to get your recovery right um, so to be fair to the people like the we had a doctor who actually went away with the rugby league um England team in the World Cup in the summer so we'd got real experts around us they'd sourced uh, the best health club you could ever find how we did it I don't know but we had the best recovery and then we were ready to go for the uh, for the for the final um, again didn't really have anything to lose in the final because Ukraine again it, a lot comes down to budgets Ukraine had been together for 30 days pre-tournament so they take it quite serious the um they have a lot of time together. They, they, they play in the same team. They train in the same team. Um, a lot of them work at a university all together. So they're together pretty much weekly, if not daily. Um, we had, I think, five day camps to get ourselves ready for this um, in a six-month block. So compare that like for like 
there's no way we should be anywhere near him. Um, yet yeah, it was a. It, I mean, we ended up losing two 0 but we had chances to get our nose in front, and then that would have been really interesting. Mm. See if we could park the bus again. But yeah, so but, but yeah, they know Ukraine know we're on their on their case, and yeah. with a little bit more, um, yeah, we've got a strategy to to deal with them. We just want to try and implement that strategy now to go and have another another go and see if we can get a gold. So what's the what's the next steps tournament wise for that squad then? Don't know. Probably we're looking at hopefully buffs. If we could host something in this country at the end of the year, there's going to be a Euros this year. That's that's the next challenge. Yeah. And have you qualified for that already? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It's just a straight to the finals. There's yeah. there's only probably about twelve nations really that that take things seriously. But um, but again, the, the difference between the danger is you get a silver one year, you could come fifth the next time. That's what happened to France in the last tournament. So. Yeah. It's um, you've got to win those single goal games or the, the the games where there's one goal difference, so that the margin for error is super super tight. Is that a career highlight? Do you know what? I th- there was a moment. There was a moment at the semi final that um, yeah, really, really, because it, it was it's eight years work going into um, eight years work just came to fruition, um, and we couldn't we couldn't have got it out. We, yeah, it was where we're at. I think if we're brutally honest. Um, and the lads, the lads know that, and it's just a really, really good bunch of lads that have it tough on a daily basis. Um, but then, you know, they come together for a week, and they're England players, and and they're really, really proud. Because these guys aren't full time athletes at the end of the day, are they? They're, it's a tough. They're not full time athletes. Um, in their attitude towards the professional, in their attitude when when the time comes. So, um, and and I'd say this same with the senior, uh, with the mainstream lads. They, um, their attitude to everything they do is really, really professional, but don't get paid. And one of the, there's not many England squads, so you, you know, take out the, um, you can take out a lot of the women's squads now. Take out the, you know, from the 17s upwards within the England program. There's not many people in the England program that are amateurs, um, and there's a difference between with those types of players because I think. It's like, uh, I think, it's similar to coaches working in amateur clubs. It's, it's a different mentality when you're not being paid to do something. You're doing it because you want to do it. Mm. And, and, and I think that's a really powerful thing. So, you know, yeah, if people are doing it because they want to be there and giving up the time to do it, then that's a really good starting point. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, it's our duty as, as, as staff to, to help them on their way. So, you know, they have to turn up and the body fat is round about that 10% mark otherwise we, we ain't going to be able to compete and um, so the training away from the group um, they've got to get on and do that and I've got no um, and the same with the seniors I've got no doubt whatsoever that when they're away they're eating the right stuff they are doing the right stuff to get them as fit as they possibly can because that's a great starting point then we have to give them the technical bit and the tactical bit that's going to get us over the line um, and maximise that time together um, where and it's probably more powerful because there's, there's going to be a real argument in clubs at the moment where everything's done for players. And we're probably breeding a culture where, you know, kids are picked up from here, they're fed, um, they all go to school together, you know, they're taken away from the homes and they live in the same place, everything's put on a plate. We might not be doing them too many favours, um, you know, and, and I think with the amateur athletes, that's, that, that's, that's really the same. I've, Seen it quite a lot with my my daughter's involved with dance. She's a dancer, yeah. and she's had, had a first contract this year. Um, so even within, so through their training, 
they do their own nutrition, they do their own uh, strength and conditioning. Um, class starts at nine o'clock, so you get your own transport to get to class. Um, the teacher walks in at nine o'clock, you've done your own warm up, and, and at nine o'clock, you are taught and you do your dance work and you do your technical work with them. And then at 11 o'clock, you do your own cool down, you feed yourself and you get ready, ready for your session two in the afternoon. And, and, and that's how the dancing world works. And then even in a, in a full-time company, yeah, they get a little bit more physio support. Um, they get a gym membership paid for them. Um, but actually, they don't have a program written for them. They know what they've got to do. Um, class, or if they're learning a new piece for a, a, different, um, a different production, you know, the times are quite set. It's double sessions. Um, if you're dancing at one place, at one and then you, you train in somewhere different in the afternoon you get the bus or you get your bike and you get on your bike and you you meet the next place it's it's a different mentality um and there's a lot to be learned from that I, th- I think we've gone too far down looking after people too much and mm. doing stuff for them and and the dance culture is 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 brilliant and to be fair the you know there's we were over at christmas and there's um they're in a production bear out it was a full house it was a black tie do it's in a big theater there's a thousand people in the theatre. So this is a professional dance company, and um, and one of the dancers or one of the performers is sleeping on a couch on someone's house the night before, because they're travelling in from another country, and and that's how they that's how they roll. But they look after each other and take it. Not saying that's right for the professional sport, mm. but it shows the difference in the culture about actually doing what needs to be done. Um, and I think we're, we're we're definitely missing some of that in football at the moment. So what what specifics have you taken or applied from your learnings of, about the dance culture into your role as a as a national head coach? Yeah, seeing um, the, the 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 passion that the people have for what they do, and, and I think you see that with um, I think I, I think at top level you do see that in in footballs. People are passionate. I'm coaches. People are passionate about what they're doing, and and they're committed to it, and they're going time and time again they do go above and beyond um, I think it's a, it's the bit about taking responsibility for yourself and, and your own learning and that if you you know if, if they don't do the strength and conditioning program as a dancer well you won't get selected for you won't get the work um, you've got to go and find your own work you probably don't have an agent you know you go to your auditions you sort your auditions out you find your way um, and you're not relying on other people. So the amount of times you chat to people that have been in football and been in a program, and you know to get released at 16, released at 18, they don't really realise what the opportunity is that they've got at the time. You know, so you know there'll be loads of players now released at under 21 and under 23. Um, and then when when they get that bad decision, have they got have they got anything in the locker to bounce back and go and do the next bit? And I'm, I'm not. I think the dancing world is different because you know you're going to get knockbacks and knockbacks and you have to be super resilient to keep going. Do do your audition, probably get told, no, not this today, and then you go to your next one and you keep going and going and going and you don't stop. Because a lot of it's kind of people's opinion about you anyway. You know, if if someone wants, um, I don't know, a a different shape or a different size or a different haircut, you you might just be waiting for that moment before you get in um, and get your chance. But you've got to be you've got to be ready for that battle that comes and maybe support yourself with another career while you're still trying to chase that one. And it's I'd, I'd, yeah, I think it's resilience 
Um, I think there's a massive attention to detail as them as individuals. Um, so it worries me a little bit when I'm in clubs and, and they say, oh, well, we've, we've done all the clipping for them so they can watch their own clips and then the players can't be bothered watching the clips. Whoa, whoa hold on. Mm. You know, should we not be at a point where, you know, the, the, the players are finishing at lunchtime, can they not clip their own stuff? Should they not be searching for that extra 2% that they might be able to get through clipping their own work? Uh, if they have to clip it or just watch it, make notes about it. Do I see players rocking up with notebooks and taking down the thought I don't know I don't I don't know um, or is that just being seen as busy I think the linkage with the non yeah it's, it's kind of non-professional but real people that act professionally um, there's power there's absolute power but there's a there's a passion about people that, that's doing stuff casting my mind that we I came, we came across each other I want to say about eight or nine years ago now when you were doing the well the role that I'm doing yep. across the northwest futsal wasn't what you intended to get into I'm guessing at the time no it's, it's funny you end up doing stuff that you I think my whole career um, has gone a, a little bit down that route where you end up doing stuff that you didn't really anticipate yourself doing um, but that's been quite good so I mean I'd, I'd yeah I mean, if I go right back it was I ended up doing I worked for Bobby Charlton for 15 years doing soccer schools and, and we did stuff for Man United which which stayed current for quite a long time so that was your first first coaching first role, coaching job yeah and, and again that came through a guy called Tony Whelan who works at Man United um, who just happened to take our, um, our the team that I played for on a Sunday um, didn't coach he just took his coaching at, at um, Platt Lane in, in Manchester um, didn't run the team but was the coach on a, on a Thursday night and Tony had one week's coaching work he heard I was doing a prelim at the time offered us a week's coaching work and I think he saw um, within the first ten, he, he, he said oh you within the first hour he'd clocked what I was doing and said you're really enjoying this aren't you I went yeah it's brilliant what were you doing uh, what was I doing with the, I'd got a group of six or seven year olds I'd probably spent most of the time doing up the laces Um <laughs> It wasn't what was dealt with on the prelim by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I'd got 18 kids. It was a bright, sunny day. I was in the middle of a field in Timpley with Tony, and it was great. And I didn't know what was great. It was just great. And But I knew, previous to that, I'd, I'd just come back. I'd, I'd gone a year's travelling around Australia. And then before that, I'd worked in a bank. So I'd left school, worked in a bank, which was just, for me, was the wrong thing to do. Being indoors, counting money, I suppose that was all right, but just doing figures, looking at checks was not, it was a struggle. So all kept me used to keep me going was like playing at the weekend and training in, in midweek. So to come out and, and do this job where actually I was being paid for doing something I enjoyed was totally novel. Um, and Tony was great. He said, he, he said, well, I know people at Bobby Charlton's um, do you want me to give him a ring? They generally have work this time of year and, and made the call for me. And um, the following week, I went to go and work for a week at Bobby's and ended up 15 years later as managing director and um, yes, went, yeah, T-boy to MD. That was pretty much the story over a 15-year period, which which was unbelievable. And and that that opened up a load of other stuff. So it opened up for me to work part-time at Bolton, um, ended up being sort of 10 years part-time and full-time at Bolton. In the academy. In the academy. Yeah. Again... The, it's funny how things work so I worked part time and then things were going really busy with Bobby Charlton's so I had to pack in um, Bolton and then Chris Sully 
phoned us out the blue just to see if they'd be interested in doing some um, that they'd got a role and would have been interested in doing some stuff around recruitment which wasn't my bag but he knew and knew the amateur you know the non-league grassrootsy type scene um, so saw something in me um, like Tony had seen something in me um, and gave me that opportunity so I packed up Bobby's and I went to Bolton for five years did recruitment but ended up as sort of assistant academy manager which was a, a great offer suppose at the moment you would, it'd be like a, a lead phase coach that's mm. in, in new money that's probably what it looked like but it looked after recruitment it looked after um, sort of the technical stuff at the time so um, what do you reckon it was that Tony and Chris saw in you then Um I don't, I don't, I've just been mad about football for since I, I can still remember now my first time playing on the park with the bigger lads that's clearing my mind playing from the first game from a school team clearing my mind and being so excited I couldn't eat my lunch and um, going to my first game it's watching City play clear is absolute crystal clear um, and that's just always been in me and 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 that's all I ever did. I just kicked a ball and in the summer might have dabbled with cricket a little bit, but there was still a ball in the bag that would come out. And um, and I think they've just seen a, an enthusiasm. Look, I, I don't think for one minute I'm the best coach by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I'm just... I, I'll, I've, I've, as I've got older, I guess, I've thought quite deeply about what I'm doing and why, I'm, why, why I do what I do. And, and I think... Tony said one thing. He said, "He said, look, I'll, I'll make the phone call for you." He says, "But football's a really small world." He said, "Keep your nose clean and work your socks off." And um, he said, and, "And I think what he was saying was don't let him down because he was recommending me." Mm. Um, and and that's always sort of sat at the back of my mind. I hope I've never let him down because that that had been that had been that had been a shocker, and because um, he gave me the chance. Um, so yeah. And work hard, and I think there's a there's a work ethic thing that was driven into me from um, from from the parents, um, particularly from my mum, and well, my dad as well. But you you worked worked your socks off. wasn't the best at school, um, but then just before my O level, sort of smashed my knee to pieces, and then got my head into my books and come out with these stunning grades, which no one was even thinking about. But that's, that told me about working hard and, and getting stuck into stuff that you can pretty much do what you, you want to do. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think if you... if you What, what did they see in me? I, I don't know. I was probably all right around people. Hopefully, I think they probably saw that they could trust me. I think that was, you know, and... and um, and you sometimes just need people that's going to roll up the sleeves and do a decent job um, and, and stick to the plan. And I think that's probably, yeah. probably what I've done. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's funny because you, I guess going back to the first thing, you, 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 you don't know. I, I didn't think I would end up in a, in a professional club environment like I did at Bolton. Um, but then, so, so yeah, that, that, that came kind of, that was a real out the blue, but to go there was... Um, when you saw what Sam was doing with it, all the the um, analysis and um, psychology work that was coming in with the first team was filtering into the the academy side, and that's what really excited me. And it was unique. No, the clubs weren't doing it. Um, the club even had its own PMA at the time, so logging all the players' details, logging fitness stats, logging session plans, logging. Um, match reports and feeding that back to players PMA would be PMA so that's what the the, the 
in the ECPP, all the clubs fill out um, fill out details about sessions and matches, and um, so they've, you've got a log basically of what players yeah. are players are doing throughout their life, and they can take that with them, yeah. um, which is a great piece of kit. Um, and in and in the ECPP, that's probably been in probably about five years. Bolton, we had it 14, 15 years ago first team use it and we were implementing that with the youth team so we were real trailblazers um, and again did we sing and dance about it no we didn't should we have done looking back possibly we should um, but I think that's again that might have been something that Chris wanted he wanted people that would see things a little bit differently and were prepared to implement them and um, and have a go with stuff and, and challenge stuff because we, we challenged we challenged a lot of stuff at Bobby Charlton's about um, the coach head at the time was very um, it was it was quite it was typical tutor stood there with a clipboard ticking his list off and you, you tick the bits you got your ticket which I still think that there's, a, there's a place for that because I think there was a reason why that happened but there was a perception that that's how you went and coached which I think is totally totally wrong um, the, the, what we've come up with Bob is that actually people need to come here to enjoy themselves so to pay our mortgage we had to get kids coming next year or next week so the best way to do that is make sure they enjoy it so their enjoyment was well let's play lots of games let's do loads of opposed stuff let's have loads of shooting we designed our own equipment these these things mannequins we had our own mannequins made from a guy in Sheffield in a, and free kick walls with players painted on it when you couldn't buy them off the internet, we went and found them and, and built them. We designed mini pitches, which you just sort of hammered into the ground, which were like a, a fenced off area where the ball never went out of play, but it gave you 3v3 and 4v4 games and different size pitches. Kids loved it. Kids absolutely loved it. Um, but it was about seeing things a little bit differently and, and then going out and doing it and then taking that to the marketplace and having a go with it and then seeing if it worked and some of it worked and some of it had to go back to but if you're making your own mannequins you live and you, you you won at the end after five or six years when Man United wants to copy the product it was quite different than when we started at the start of it um, but having the idea and then running with something even though knowing that something's not going to be quite right but being willing to chat through with other people to go well how do we make it better what we're going to tweak here what we're going to change You've, got, you've just got to go with your ideas and your thoughts and, mm. and trust yourself so again you go to Bolton and it was quite apparent that bringing kids in for six weeks was wrong so in the first week I've gone and presented to the, the, the local league about taking players out and supporting them so this is a part of your role as the head of recruitment head now. of recruitment yeah, yeah I was just say, look you know we're here to help and support and I literally got chased out of the building you don't support you take the kids out you, you send them back and they're in a bad place Um you know, and quite clearly, after you'd done the second and the third league visit, and each league saying the same thing, that message was wrong. So you've got to come up with a solution to fix that. So we just got partner clubs and never took lads out for six weeks. We had shadow groups, which now seem to be the, the done thing nearly every club in the country. Um, not saying that we, it, it was just thinking different. And I th- think there was probably a load of other people thinking the same sort of thing. Um, not taking lads out of Bolton clubs if they were unless it was at the start of the season so you let them play the football let them have the finals let them you know and then if we were really sure about a player we'd sign them um, you know the other little things we looked at at, at the club was um, taking we were probably sixth or seventh pick 
um, in terms of you know kids would go to City, United, Everton, Liverpool. Blackburn were ahead of us, Crew were ahead of us, Preston really were ahead of us. So writing off the September to Christmas birthdays and just identi- just the scouts went and scoured the place for January onwards. If they bought us in May to August, it was like we were rubbing our hands. And now why, why would you be rubbing your hands? Just because they'd been missed. We the, the, there was yeah we knew or the, the we didn't know that was the problem. But the feeling was that actually if we give those lads time, then they might come through at the end. Um, and what, what the scouts initially thought they were seeing wasn't necessarily what they were seeing. So they would get drawn to fisti- fittest, quickest, fastest, strongest, as opposed to, um, well, actually, do we know who's going to be fittest, fastest, strongest when they're 18? Because it was quite different than looking at a 14-year-old. Um, you know, and we got, we got some immediate success with that. Um, of getting lads to Cow Bartley would always be the example that we took at, from Denton at under 12s um, to being an England player at 15, April birthday. Um, and and the, the club was with Kevin Nolan, I think he was in April and May. Liverpool released him. Joey O'Brien was a later one. Aaron Moy, Aaron Moy's different, but again, he was a late birthday in terms of his Australian birthday because they go mm. January to December. I think he was in October, November. So there's stories behind all of them. Um, and some real success that we had at the time, which again, isn't on people's radar, but you know, it's, there was reasons why what we did. And then looking back now, 10 years later, you can go, oof, that worked or this didn't work. And, um, and then you've, you know, you've got the stories to back it up. Yeah, so uh, where, where did you actually go looking for these younger birthdays then? I'm, I know you've told this story before and I've, I've heard it on course. Yeah, um, we, we, we kind of looked everywhere um, for the younger ones, but you didn't look in the top league. Um, quite often you'd look in the second division of the Warrington under sevens league or the, even the third division of the Warrington um, league but to, to get a, a proper picture the, the scouts had to know the birthdays of the kids um, and had to know something about what they were looking for rather than just looking at a game because you, you're not seeing the full picture um, we then had to educate um, the coaches about being a little bit more patient and understanding the bigger picture this was before youth mods this yeah. is yeah this is um, before really you know, I'm sure there was relative age effect research out there, but maybe not known to the extent popularly that it is now. Yeah, and, and, and it's quite scary. So I remember my first, they used to have regional um, centre of excellence meetings and Craig Simmons was at the first one I attended. It was at, um, at Uni of Chester. And, um, and he stood and talked about relative age effects and I'd never heard about this. And... Um, and I thought, flipping out, this this is insane. What's going on? Why this? Why aren't people doing anything about it? So, five years later, when I got a chance to affect it, I made sure that it affected it. And I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of information and stuff out there which is okay, but then sometimes you've got to pick some messages and go, yeah, I need to do something about this. Um, so that's what we did at the club. Again, when I, at the same time, when as my my own lads came. Um, sort of did his football so he's sort of 19 now so having taken him through his, his junior football programme it was he was a September planned so, that well didn't you well <laughs> I did and I didn't so he was a, it's interesting he's a September but a late developer physically yeah. and I knew I was I went I was a late develop, developer physically um, so it was interesting plotting his progress that he was good in some bits but didn't have the legs to cover the ground but again, we, we implemented the stuff at Crossfields at the time about, you know, coaches having a bit of a more balanced opinion. Um, 
understanding that the fifth the team the fifth team in the under eights age group when we looked at it were all so we had to pick on ability because the league said you had to grade your kids according to your teams which again at the time I wasn't sure about but there's pros and cons either way and I think understanding those pros and cons better now but he um, but yeah understanding that the fifth team were all kind of May to August birthdays was it a surprise? no and was the A team was the A team full of September's and October birthdays? yeah and did they win the cup at 7s and 8s? yeah did they get overtaken at 13-14? yeah it doesn't surprise me you know it was just as um, so they they were biggest, fastest, strongest. Then, as they got caught up, they got overtaken. Some of them hung in to be and playing at a really good standard, and then others have drifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, there's we could talk all day about the complexities of taking them through that struggle and growth spurts and all the rest of it. That's well, that's probably for another day. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's good going through that process and understanding and seeing where they've ended up. But I think I don't know as you get older and greyer and so I'm, I've been through that process now probably three or four times with players or seeing groups of players come through and seeing who makes it and who doesn't make it and 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 it's that gives you a little I don't know you, you become a little bit more comfy with yourself mm-hmm. about knowing what's probably going to what work and, and what isn't going to work so rather than working things out for the first time you, you call in on a little bit of experience now which, which can be quite handy yeah. I think the story that you mentioned there about the late developers is, is a familiar one to, to many. Uh, I, I would say, you know, from my own experience, the the boys that I'm working with now, some of them are 14, and I've had the opportunity to work with them since they were nine years old. And I honestly say it's probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, and, and seeing that progress and seeing how... Uh, Volatile those changes can be as they as they go throughout that journey, but like you say, it's probably probably one that we could spend hours on and, oh. uh, and another day. We had uh, the Advanced Youth Award was in at the weekend, and they had under 15s from um, three clubs: um, Ipswich, Cat One, uh, Peterborough, and Oxford, who were probably Cat Two or Three. And there was a absolute mix of sizes. It was the physical corner, and I ended up refereeing a couple of 11 side games. And it was really, really hard. So they would have, they had um, some six foot three um, centre forwards and centre halves. They had some lads that were probably about, weren't even five foot, but it was men against boys. And trying to ref that, I couldn't, it was really difficult Mm. about even, you know, the, the, the little lad trying to nick a ball, but actually the big lad sticks his backside into him and he bounces off. Was that a foul? No, it's not. Mm. And, ah, incredible but you know players with different strengths and weaknesses and that that was just technically never mind looking at what must have been going on in the reds and and everything else it's it's a massive massive um, is it an issue I don't know it's it's complex and this is the real problem it's so so complex on so many levels it's it's you know trying to find talent and develop talent is, is is really tough thinking grassroots just giving lads opportunity the the one thing that drops always remembers is the um, the team that was the fifth team were they still playing when they were under 16s and a lot of those lads were and why and they, when they went to 11 v 11 which was probably at that point under 11s would have been yeah you jumped up at under 11s at that time they probably went 11s 12s 13s without winning a game the moment when they won the first game was just 
<laughs> yeah, that would probably be a career highlight as well, or hearing that story. Um, but Paul Smalley, who's a FA mentor, chairman um, of the club at the time, chairman right? of the club at the time, um, he had a waiting list of players wanting to join him at under 16s and 15s because of the environment he created. Um, you know, he's a he's a teacher trainer by trade, understood what was going on, um, created the right place for him. Um, and that was a different environment than what, you know, t- teams playing in the town team, the players playing in the town team would be facing or teams playing in the, in the um, Premier League if, or the top league. So it was, it was different, but Paul understood those kids and, you know, what is it, create the environment and they'll come. Mm. That's what Paul did and, and really, really powerful. And, and those lads, I, I bet loads of them are still playing at some sort of level, whether it's, you know, maybe not 11 v 11 but they'll still be having a football activity at some point in the week yeah. which I think is, is, is massive and, yeah, and that understanding of, of role within that environment and is, is absolutely crucial so, mm. um, and you were doing this at the same time as you were you were then coaching at Bolton is that right? Yeah so yeah, it's, it was funny about while I was at Bolton I was doing some stuff at Crossfields and, um, and kind of working things from afar but then um, Sam moved on so a lot of the staff moved on like happens in football clubs and that's when I ended up at the FA um, and that gave me a, a better chance so I, I think it's alright so the FA job was brilliant so as part of my, and this is where I think you go back on one thing I really enjoyed at Bobby Charlton's was developing the staff um, and doing the staff training days really really enjoyed that um, and then you know a key turning point was probably getting my A licence so that enabled me to be an FA tutor um, but really enjoyed the tutoring. So when at um, when my time at Bolton ran out, um, ended up working doing a lot of itinerant tutoring for a year, um, and gaining doing some stuff around MVQ and ecology in Salford, which was enlightening, um, and probably the biggest challenge that I've had personally um, about engaging people into um, into into work. Um, and then, but then, yeah, and then coming and working at FA, and then and then doing the the, the tutoring. So there was stuff going on there um, that all kind of linked together. Yeah. What were the challenges that you faced at Salford? Salford was having um, twelve lads um, who were probably towards the bottom of the pile in terms of their educational um, prowess, for want of a better word. Probably didn't want to be there. Saw football as a bit of a. Or, or coaching was just seen as a way to keep them in the uh, in in the college for as best they could, um, whilst they were up to a load of other nonsense on the days they weren't in college. Um, so just trying to engage them into being in a classroom environment, and but then what what I kind of figured what I figured with, with those lads was they didn't want to be in the classroom, and it, so we took them out. We we or the lads went back to their own primary schools, asked if they could go back in and coach. Um, we found a minibus at the school so on a Thursday we, we'd go around various primary schools in Salford um, doing that they were doing coaching sessions with the kids and the deal was they planned they delivered and they reviewed um, all in the playground in blocks in pairs sometimes on their own different size groups and the deal was if they if they locked onto the task they got um, we dropped them off at the chippy at lunchtime <laughs> And, uh, and to, to a man they engage really really well and um, one of my best moments I always think was two things that dropped out one was uh, on an afternoon session there's a lad 
um, the kids are all running around in circles and then like it looked like musical statues and one of the things we said about trying to include the ball in the training so walked over thinking this ain't what we talked about before and he's, he's he, he was a human beatbox and he was playing musical statues and he was the beatbox and the music which was just outstanding that's awesome yeah it was outstanding and um, and these kids were all over it so I walked away thinking yeah that's a, a lesson learnt for me um, and then the balls he didn't he said I've got no footballs I had to do something so that was his solution and wow. it was class and then I, I ended up doing um, I'd asked to speak at Myers Co- College to do some um, just to do a one-off sort of lecture and um, these lads at the start you, you don't realise the impact you have on people um, and I'd done for the first year with them they'd got through the second year got over the line um, ended up at Myers Co on a sort of foundation degree delivering delivering an afternoon and lo and behold three of the lads including the human beatbox man who was probably towards the bottom of the pile of the group were on the course and so you'd engage them in something and it kicked on to the next level and and that was again career highlight yeah brilliant I'd love to know what they're doing now but real good bunch um, challenging but yeah really really good group so you know it's just about hooking people in and finding out actually giving them some sort of belief that they're good and that education might not have been what they're all about but actually this is something they could do and, and be quite proud about what they were doing yeah and so your journey at the FA started as a coach development manager for the North West delivering predominantly youth award level two right around the North West so tell us how that uh, that journey's changed to, to the stuff yeah. that you're doing now yeah yeah it's interesting the, the so working so Chris Sully and, and had left his free reign really at Bolton to do a lot of um, take things where we wanted to go. So we we kind of implemented like a four v four. Martin Diggle in particular had implemented a four v four five v five model of small sided games. So we'd had some research done by John Moores, and and this is kind of this was around about the time. So it was um, um, Professor Williams and Mark Williams, Mark, Mark Ford, Paul Ford, Paul Paul Ford, Mark Williams. And um, so Paul Ford was doing his masters and had um, done some study about, which a lot of people might have seen around um, sort of training forms. So game day, you know, people playing games. Is it block practice? Is it um, is it skill practice? And he he looked at he, he asked us if he could come into Bolton. So we got into Bolton. Um, I'd also worked at Tranmere, got him to Tranmere, and he came looking at Crossfields. And he had, so they were three of his clubs of, at three different levels. And then he had, in total, he had nine clubs, three at each level. So, um, and then the, the work that Paul came out was well, actually, all the work that was taking place was unopposed, non directional practice. Um, and then he presented his information to us. And it, for me, it was one of the, it was a real penny dropping moment going, well, this can't be right. So when we, we had a look at why we were releasing players and we were releasing them because we're making poor decisions in games this is at the football club and um, and it was it was a critical so Chris Mark and I we, well as a group we decided look this something's got to change we've got to go away from what we were doing which was lots of ladders lots of well lots of no decision making work stuff that was popular at that moment yeah, yeah. which is right you yeah. know and, and why was that driven because you went on a, a level 2 or you A for B and you delivered in a stop stand still type way which look 
and I think I'm going full story, full circle to say, yeah, we still need that in coach education, but not necessarily in the coaching, because that might be what people need. But the so we've gone, so we've ripped up the thing and went, yeah, we go with opposed directional small sided games, because that's what education, that's what um, science was telling us. Um, so yeah, so we went down that route. Um, Sturge had come on board right in the youth award, and there was Sturge came in to deliver that at Bolton or towards our end of the time and and he, he came in to present what the Mod 1 was all about just to the full-time staff to to try and get us on board Sturge lived quite locally and um, and Diggs pulled out our programme and the videos we were producing and it matched up perfectly with the Mod 1 so for me coming into the FA to share the messages around Mod 1 and Mod 2 is what we would been having the struggle over for two or three years at Bolton thinking, yeah, we need to do more post-practice, we want to use games more, um, we want to treat, we want kids to value their own learning, to write their own session, not, well, they did, they wrote their own sessions sometimes, um, their own performance reviews they did, their own goal setting they did, and we sort of facilitated that and took care and, and, and took care of the lads. So the youth awards were, perf- were what we'd been living and breathing for two years, but having an absolute tussle internally about was this the right thing because we didn't have anything to back it up mm. um, so when when Pete started sharing that it was like brilliant and then to have sort of left the club for whatever reason and then to be able to get an opportunity to talk about the stuff that you'd been doing was like it was brilliant so yeah if someone sees a worth in what we're doing and um, so it was an easy for me it was just what we'd done so to have and then Pete had given us the structure on the course to nail down those messages that we did in the club. Um, so, yeah, so for four or five years, that's as a RCDM, that's that's kind of what I did and hopefully made some sort of impact in the Northwest. Absolutely. Um, at a time when the youth awards weren't particularly well thought of and, um, and you were stood in front of groups that perhaps didn't want to be there, were a bit sceptical, so you had to win them over, um, but which is different now, totally, totally different. Um, and I think coach education was was kind of split at the time, um, but we it was easy, it was an easy one to do. So um, yeah, so that was the start of the FA, and, and Graham Keeley got us in at that point to work with the partially sighted team, um, and that was my involvement with futsal. But which again hadn't seen anything of. We went to my first ex- so nearly all my experience has been in international futsal, which is a bit weird. Um, in uh, you know European Championships and world, world Championships or qualifying for Worlds and Euros, um, which is different than probably most people. It's it's that's not my football experience, um, and I guess it's not too many people's futsal experience. No. So it's it's a bit of a weird one. But saw the game, thought the game was good, but didn't have didn't understand it, did not understand it. Could see that it was like football, but didn't understand the sort of finer detail of it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, that's how I got into it. Yeah. it. It changed though the with the Premier League. I think the Premier League have been doing futsal for some time um, in their games. So the, the Premier League are keen to offer uh, a mixed games format. So if you're an under eleven player um, playing at Everton, then you will probably in your games program you'll probably in a year play some eleven v eleven stuff. You will probably play nine v nine, seven v seven. You'll probably go to a six v six tournament on on three G you'll play a 5v5 tournament in a cage, you know, like at a goal centre. Mm. You'll play a futsal tournament. You will play um, 6v6 in Germany with big goals on a wooden court, playing off walls with a normal football. 
getting loads of different experience of competitiveness, trying to win tournaments, um, dealing with different balls and different situations and different numbers and different groups. So I think to, to support that, the FA needed someone that was going to go and talk a little bit about futsal because to support the games programme Premier League had had. So that was where, that's where the job came in, really. Yeah. Um, I think it was about the time when Dan Ashworth had just come in. Um, I think the thought was around perhaps having like a skills coach, technician type person, but that, that wouldn't have been me. They'd seen, um, I think they'd seen some of the work that I'd done around the partials and presented at the Advanced Youth Award. And I thought this, they could see the, the, the technical group could see the links between futsal, um, working in a pro club, working in a grassroots game, understanding coach education. We probably need someone to knit that together, which is how the job probably rolled out, really. Um, so that's how I ended up in the FAYCD team. And then was just given free reign to deliver, to develop the sort of coach ed programme for futsal, um, which has been, but again, link, going back to where we started, linking that to the football strands that actually it's not a million miles can't be totally different is people have got to see the synergy between the two yeah and, and so what's the impact that you're seeing now that you know you've been doing this role about I think four years mm. fair to say what, what's the impact that you're seeing now that the clubs are adopting this varied games experience approach and you know and just how important is that yeah it's, it's, it's changeful to, so again I think you've got to be quite quite old but you look back over time so before the academy programme Kids were getting to 16, 17, playing on sand-based Astro, um, having broken backs and bad legs and bad hips. And, you know, you see the people in the work in our department, there's a lot with having hip replacements, played. So they played hundreds, probably over 100 games a year. Everything was about games. I go back to think back to me as a kid, I played five games a week. That's what you did. Never trained, but I really understood the game or, or playing in games. Um, yeah so having loads of games when they brought out the chart for quality and, and the the, um, the academy programme when that first started the, the games programme it would be about 30 games max 36 games max it was some, but a really small amount of games and then well the problem being actually that that's that's not enough for decision making so they were getting loads more training and they weren't getting the injuries but now the kids it had gone full tilt from playing five games a week to maybe getting three quarters of a game now the clubs where the clubs have gone is they're recognising well actually we need lots of game opportunities um, so that could be uh, and I think a lot of the Spanish I know when Noddy went over to Valencia over, he, he talks about lads going into battle 120 times a year mm. putting the kit on going and playing against somebody else and and I think there's personally I think there's massive power in that um, because that's where you make your real decisions as a player even as a coach um, I think just going toe to toe with somebody else, but understanding the returns you're getting from futsal or from, from from the bigger game. I think the clubs, the clubs now, the you know loads of clubs will be going all over the world playing in tournaments and um, uh, playing in tournaments, going into battle and trying to win those tournaments, and and the kids love it. I think um, and the, the coaches understand the returns they're getting from each one. And, and really, really get that. Um, so, you know, that's probably the best place for people's learning. So I think that, what, what's your, you know, if you go, go and give us a football memory, it's probably, or gives you your best three football memories, straight away you're going in, I'm going into moments in games, you know, winning a semi-final, mm. 
winning, you know, getting into a final. I can think of some others that might have been away from the pitch, which is a bit more social. But, but probably, you know, if it's top three, two will be technic, you know, will be game related. It, I can't remember too many training sessions. No. I can't. So you know, we've, I think, and the, club, the clubs are recognising that. So northwest based, where I've had quite a bit of a hit with futsal. There's um, there's ad hoc games going and being played now between the clubs at different age groups, up to under 12s, under 13s. Um, you know, so Preston have a Preston North End have a facility on a Saturday morning. Other clubs are rocking up. Blackpool use Mysco on a Thursday night. They'll be playing Blackburn Rovers. They'll be playing Accrington. Um, and they'll play it as a, as a futsal game and the kids go and play a proper game and and, and that's so that's giving extra game time to players um, and seeing players in different situations which again that's that's not been driven by well it has it's been suggested that might be a decent idea um, but it's just supporting clubs to go and do that and, and that's that's starting to filter down into to grassroots now I know that um, the lads that I coach our 14s we um we have been training on a, I call it an ice rink. Mm. It's a sun-based Astro, which is on its uh, last of last legs. Yeah. Uh, it is a, the quickest surface I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. And um, I don't care how good a player you are, you're going to struggle to to control a football yeah. playing on that surface. So we've been, we've been training with a mixture of footballs and futsal balls for years on there now. Um, one of the most significant changes I've noticed, and I, and I did measure this a few years ago, I've, and I've got the results somewhere, I should have brought them with me. We, uh, we tried to track the time that the ball spent in play. Okay. So we had a yeah. third, third of an Astro with two goals, and we just played um, 5v5. We played it one game, I think it felt about 20 minutes with a football, yeah. size four football, and then another game after that, after a rest, another 20 minutes with a futsal. And I think, uh, this is just surmising, but I think it was around, the ball was in play for around 33% longer. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so just a return on investment just by changing the equipment over was yeah. was great, but they'd, they'd, they'd never actually experienced playing a futsal fixture, a proper yeah. match. Okay. And we went, we got invited to go and play uh, Liverpool Futsal Club. They've got a little youth set up going there. This was just before Christmas. And the lads, uh, I think we had about eight, eight boys there and they absolutely loved it the yeah. first question was when can we do this again yeah. and it was just in a in a bog standard high school sports hall on a netball court um, with the goals were these like pop up uh, just material yeah, goals yeah. I've yeah. never seen them before but they were they were great and I expected just to kind of I didn't expect the response that I got from yeah. the boys and they just they really wanted to um to get more into it and play more yeah I, I, I think again it's understanding the returns so I, I think if you're <laughs> my, my lad plays Super League and um, my, my mother-in-law took her to see took her to see a game and straight away she says oh there's a lot more shots in this isn't there and I says yeah she says it's always around the goal there's always something happening I can't take my eyes off it and, and my mother-in-law's had a, a chance to go and watch loads of football but Turned down the opportunity because it was cold, it was wet. But I don't think there's an awful lot happens in the game. It's really, really slow. She went to see the this, this game and was and was absolutely loved it to the point of the, about two weeks later we went round for Tom got a game. The games are on Sunday. Um, we're having Sunday lunch, so we had to have Sunday lunch because his game's at five o'clock or at four o'clock. 
So he has his dinner, scoots off to go and play down at Tranmere. We're having, we've washed up, and then I'm thinking, I really like now. It's, it's an hour before kickoff. If I set off now, I could go, but I've just had Sunday lunch. It'd be the wrong thing to do. We've washed up. We've had a cup of tea. It's ready for it. See, it's what it's that is it. Walk the dog or have a snooze. And to which the, my mother-in-law came in and said, oh, what time's kickoff? <laughs> I said, well, it's in an hour. She said, oh, we could make it, couldn't we? Which I thought I would never have got that. I would never have got that response from football because let's go and watch. And and it's the the point is it's about it being more exciting and more going on and more goals, more action. And I think that's why that. So if it's good enough for my mother-in-law, yeah, it's there's got to be something in it for the kids. I think if there's um, the other bit of learning I had with taking when I so having run the, the town team group that I had there was um, usual stuff some really good lads some parents were a little bit of a challenge everyone was on board by the end but it had, had been a bit of a challenge some that challenged me most um, really good people but when it, you stick them around as football supporters watching their kids play just got a little bit too lively um, stick them in a football futsal hall because they don't understand the game it was really really good because they didn't understand the game so actually they kept the mouth shut and just the one one, one of the dads was a was his son was a goalie and he went this is really good my lad's involved in it loads of the time and so I think sometimes you can you know you, you, you noisy parents you can they, they, that might and that might be the reason why the kids have a better experience because the, the, the parents aren't on the case and don't know everything about it and just perhaps just let the lads get on and, and do what they need to do so would you class it as a sport in itself or um, how do you did you see well, the game it's, of futsal yeah, yeah. It's, it's both I mean as a development tool I think it's fairly I think we've got a you know the, the returns you're getting from it are really going to help um, develop footballers. So, is it a coincidence that the leading futsal nations are Brazil and Argentina and Spain and you know Aguero and um, and Silva and um, and Coutinho and um, Neymar? You know, all the the real big hitters have been born and bred on this. Um, we went to Barcelona in October and I said have you got we're asking the futsal people in the club about um, have you got any evidence about the transfer and they kind of looked at us well one laughed at me one of the coaches laughed the second one just looked at me like I was stupid and pretty much the response was have you never seen a game I said yeah I've seen quite a few games thank you I I know I just need to share some um, I need evidence to take back to England and they went we'll just get people to see the game at the top level and and if they can't work it out, well, they shouldn't really be coaching. That was kind of their point of view, which, yeah, I can't really take that message back, lads. We, we need to... Well, that's how they were. They, they, they knew. So as a development tool for um, for football, I think it's 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 huge. Um, as a game in its own right, I think there's real growing momentum. Um, and there's a growing momentum now of English kids playing. So in the, the, the main, you know, the, the National League before, there's been a lot of foreign players uh, now what we're finding is a lot of the teams are young English players, um, which is going to help the England team moving forward. Um, there's a real movement of um, there's a there's a like a not an underground movement, but there's a like a subculture of futsal that goes off, um, and there's more of it going on than the football community realises. Um, and the quality of it is, is some of it is really really good that that people need to see. What's turn as well, you, you know, like the Bolton Berry League doing shutting down and um, now pretty much from November till Feb and just going in diet side and doing futsal. 
major step forward because I'm I'm sure you know there's there's teams that have had games cancelled now for two or three months and won't have played on grass yeah. for for ages. Yeah, we've played two games in fourteen weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is a point. You know, there's that'll be this year, it'll be last year, yeah. it'll be the year before. It's it's every year now. So let's let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know, so if it's if it's seen as um if just the fact that kids are playing and getting another hit in the winter, that's got to be that's got to be a major step forwards. Um, yeah, and one of my one of my own first experiences of, of being introduced to it in that sort of environment was a, a league that would, has been running for a few years now here in Liverpool in, in Wavertree mm-hmm. in the tennis centre. Yeah. So there, uh, Ricky and his team had. Um, seen an opportunity to to work with the tennis centre which perhaps wasn't busy every night of the week yeah got some really faint markings painted on the courts and either there's there's i think there's eight eight pitches in there monday and friday night and the number of games it is just absolutely fantastic and i just think that if we you know those guys have really thought creatively about how to to make it work and not to let facility constraints get in the way and i think that you know that that model was um, other people started to look at that around the country yeah. the opportunities for for young players to be exposed to this game would just go through the roof yeah well, well one thing that comes back a lot is about facilities and um, the lack of facilities and the cost of facilities and and a kind of well one the research that we've got back is that there isn't a shortage of facilities what there's a what there's a shortage of is those facilities being unlocked and that's something that's totally different to schools not opening the sports halls on an evening. That would, that would solve some of the problem. And there's a lot of that about. The cost thing. Um, so in Spain, in Spain, where do they play? They play outside on school playgrounds. So the way, you could argue about the rain. I'm not convinced it rains as much. There's a difference between a waterlogged pitch and it actually raining. Um, so I think we can have a waterlogged pitch, but it's not raining. So... Playing on the schoolyard, I think, is viable. So if you've got a set of samba goals, if your kid goes to a primary school and they've got a netball court marked out on the on the playground, you've got everything you need to play. All you need then is a ball, which is going to cost you a tenner. Mm-hmm. Um, then comes the idea, oh, health and safety. Well, if you're my vintage, you went to school, you played on the yard, you went there early, you played at lunchtime, um, or you, you know, you, you played in the street and you played with flat soled shoes so you could look after the ball. The ball was slightly smaller and you narrowed off the goals because you didn't want to go booting it for miles and then you ended up chasing it for ages. So you made it a little bit easier for the keeper. That's what we had it. We had the model um, and the facilities we have got. So every school will have tennis court or a netball court, mm-hmm. guaranteed. So there's, there's a load of pitches. The sun's out all summer. Once we get to probably about March, there's enough daylight that we can get loads of hits. Um, the other thing that people probably don't realise, if the, the amount of play areas that have got um, uh, concrete courts with metal goals all set, ready to play, is, is incredible. Do I see many kids on them? Absolutely not. Have I ever seen a competitive game on them? Absolutely not. Never. Never in my life yet. And I think that's part of the plan to, to get things out there. There's a are these like the little uh, multi-use game areas? Yeah, multi-use yeah. game yeah. areas. You know, why can't we go and play on there? There's, um, we're looking Warrington. I think we've got three or four floodlit ones as well. So there's your win. You know, no cost. If you want to go and use use those facilities in the winter when it's dark, you get a license off the council, and you can get access to that court from six to eight o'clock on a Wednesday night if you've got the license and things the people off. That's yeah. That's and that's the case in a lot of councils across the country. Is it well known? Not at all. And they're floodlit. 
um, you know, and there'll be there'll be heaps of those places. Start looking out for the floodlights. Not on every court, but you you can get the license to gain access to that place. Really? That's what you pay your, your council tax for. So, so there you go. Yeah, yeah there you go. It's free. Yeah. And and this is a thing. So um, I think there's a bit. There's been a bit of snobbery in the past from the futsal community um, saying, "Oh, well, what about if it's on 3G?" There's a trade-off. So you know, if we're going to say um, Let's understand we lose the ball speed on 3G massively. But if you're playing to goals with the ball, play to the rules and, and play to lines, well, actually, you've got the game. So go and play the game. You'll still get 85, 90% of the returns that you would get than, than playing on. So I'd rather take 85, 90% than, than not play the game and the kids not have a, not have a go at something. Yeah, I suppose that like the decent uh, was it the decent method you follow is better than the perfect one that you quit. Or yeah, you don't exactly. even attempt. Yeah, exactly. So get you know, if we yeah get players back, and, and that needn't cost an awful lot. You know, a third of an astroturf pitch, you could have three, maybe four pitches on it, thirty quid, ten quid. You're talking about fifty p ahead, not even that. You know, so um, I think that there's a massive place for it, but we've just got to understand what we're getting from from when we do stuff. You talked about those. Um, or those links into into the eleven v eleven game. What are some of the things that you're you're seeing in the way that different countries play the game, and what, what's that technical detail that you see is translating into into football? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. You go and see. Um, you play different nations, and they they, they play differently. Um, you know, you'll play. Uh, you look at how Ukraine will play. Very regimented, strict plan repetitive nearly not automatic's the wrong word but they play in a particular way and it's about getting shots off and smashing it really hard um, but having clear set pieces and being quite aggressive how they do again you know you, you look at if you're looking at I think the biggest thing at the minute is watching Scene City and um, no bias there no bias whatsoever. <laughs> it's funny because look I've seen City when they're really really bad <laughs> York away probably wasn't the best moment, but there you go. But the um, you know there's now what's going on at City is, is incredible, and um, and I do get the chance to watch them from time to time. Which or if you know if seeing it live again is different than seeing it on the telly. Um, but I am seeing with with my futsal head on, I am seeing some of the one the way they deal with the ball, one the way um, some of the the sort of set moves within the game that pop out seem to be real which what would they be so there's there's kind of a thing we, we use in futsal like three in line so getting so the old York and Cole through the legs and spin that yeah. sort of thing um, but you'll see you'll see sort of Aguero taking a position behind Silver and in between Silver gets between Fernandinho and Aguero and he might Silver and, and, and De Bruyne receive with the back to goal loads on the on the safe side the receiving safe side and literally it's a lending pass back but then it's a lending back pass and then he spin and then it goes into Aguero and he bounce round players so when it's dealing with that really really tight area that's one way of getting out um, seeing Sterling this year down the right hand side he, he's getting on the shoulder really really high and Walker's got a run where he just pretty much dives through but then De Bruyne will come and fill space so like we have a, a so three in line and like a filling out space so De Bruyne come and fill in the space that Walker's left. So like a rotation almost. It's a, yeah. Some of the rotations. Yeah. and But the, the kind of standard fare in futsal, but people are raving about it in, in football. 
um, but done at pace, done with quality, and getting away to un, you know unlock situ just create the, the concept was about creating those little overloads in in attacking areas where you you, you kind of creating overloads in an underloaded situation so you you've got to do you know if you're attacking you know, I don't know Southampton being an example when you rock up at the Etihad stick 10 behind the ball you know you're going to commit eight forward to that so you're into a probably an 8v10 8v11 situation yeah. well within that 8v10 you've got to create a a 3v2 overload or a 2v1 for a second to get you in and that's futsal that is futsal can you create an overload for a second at wit- and then can you exploit the opportunity that comes along and, I, and I'm seeing that heaps heaps and heaps never mind you know the, the, the technicality of Coutinho and him going to Barcelona for however much he went for well actually there's probably stuff that he's picked up in the game in terms of how he receives and his decision making and decision making under pressure and I saw some brilliant footage of him and I don't know if it's publicly available. It might be on YouTube. I suspect it probably will be these days, but of his early experiences, um, I think he was around about 14 playing futsal. Now we see Coutinho and just assume that he's probably always been the smallest, Yeah. but actually he was a a giant giant compared to the rest of the players. And yeah, I don't know if that, probably worth a a search on YouTube for that. Worth, Worth a search, worth a search, 100%. Um, and then Liverpool put something together. The, the football club, their, their um, analysis department of, of him doing his futsal and then him doing the same moves in 11v11. I don't think that is out on YouTube. No, that's the clip I've seen. Yeah, and, and it's just how he holds the ball up, how he turns, and it's identical. Um, so, the, you know, there's... I don't think it's rocket science, but it's quite different because understanding again that he's protected by the rules that he's not going to get smashed every time the ball comes into his feet you know so he does get a chance to practice those things when he was younger yeah the other thing from the clips was which again there were super competitive environments that he was playing in um, you know the, the stories we hear from Brazil is that there's money changing hands on games at 9, 10 and 11 so you know for the in for the, the favelas elite, yeah. yeah no in, in the elite game right. and those yeah or the, the, at the top, top levels of nine-year-old futsal in Brazil, there's, there's money riding on games. So imagine the pressure on the players. Um, now, I'm not saying for one instance that we start gambling on kids. On the Warrington Junior League under eights. No. Probably won't get away with that, no. But, but the, you know, the kids dealing with pressure, so then is it any surprise then that they can deal with pressure later on in life? Mm. And the, the, we come back to that drive that we talked about, the dancers about getting out and, and going and playing well yeah there's probably something going on there that's that's not technical that's that's given them another edge um, and in Brazil they're probably playing on they're probably not playing on sports halls they'll be just playing on any patchy grounds so they're dealing with bumpy balls and, and, and all the rest of it so so the Euros start next week yeah yeah Eurosport again? Um, no unfortunately not so we're, we're going to have to get some links out around streaming um, mm. It's a shame. Yeah, it is, it is a real shame because that has given us momentum. Unless there's a late deal, which wouldn't be um, surprising if something happens. Potentially on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, UEFA might stream stuff, which would be which would be pretty good. Um, but people really caught into the last one, um, which is a terrible, terrible shit. I think the later games might be on, but the, 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 the group game's not. Um, it's in Slovenia, big hitters, probably Spain. Who are you looking forward to seeing? Um Looking for different teams for different reasons. Um, Spain, 
always good. Um, Italy will play a different style. Russia will play off a top man. Um, I think the interesting one will be France. So they've pretty much um, come from nowhere. They've decent. If people are interested, there's a, a pro concrete football which is out on Netflix, or you can get it on YouTube. Um, decent little watch about sort of them playing again in the, in the playground environment. Um, and there's a couple of players that's come literally off the streets and will be playing for France. So that's a documentary. Is it's it? a documentary. Yeah. It's about 45 minutes, right. but it's well worth a look. About it's a bit brutal, some of it, and there's a bit of a real city vibe culture thing going off but it's yeah worth worth watching so seeing how the the French lads cope um, out there will be because they they, yeah I don't think they'll win it Um, we've also got the the conference coming up so George Bratz is um, with Portugal Um, so we've got him in the conference as soon as the uh, the Euros finishes Um, that's at SGP on the 17th of Feb okay Um, and is that so just to see George. tickets available for that just yeah online. no ticket tickets are I mean and again we've we've got hit with George's over and Mark Kamara from um, Carmona sorry from um, who was at Barcelona's head coach for for ages he's he's presenting there as well so we've got big hitters there um, but it's just I think the thing from the Euros is just to see the quality of the play um, is just outstanding that the the pace of the game. Um, and, and the quality about how people will manipulate and deal with the ball it'll, it's it's just on another level Yeah, uh, the level of pressure that people can apply is, is incredible and one of the things I like most about watching it I find it a really you know, entertaining sport not only to, to, to play but to, to watch but is the fact that you can see so much of the of the pitch I get really frustrated when I watch <laughs> football 11 aside football on the TV and obviously you get drawn to the ball because yep. the camera naturally follows the ball Sky sometimes do the tactical cam which I, I I love watching the games off that but with the futsal at least you can see pretty much everything that's going on and the yeah. movement off the ball which I, yeah. I really enjoy watching yeah and that's the thing look away from the ball and and, um, and see some of the clever stuff that's going off you know that some of the blocking that will be going that's one thing we want to see um, so we're, we're over for a week just to kind of get what we can from it and um yeah, hopefully implement some of that into the coach head that we're pulling together and, and then hopefully benefit sort of the England team as well. Right. Um, OK, we're just kind of drawing to a close. I know you've got to go to the dentist. Oh, no. <laughs> me. Um, we've got a question from Ian off Twitter, which uh, he asks about where do you see futsal in 10 years' time mm. and what impact do you think this will have on the game across grassroots and elite football? Yeah. Um, the the momentum, momentum it's grown at the minute is incredible um, I'd hope in 10 years time um, it becomes the norm that um, you know grassroots teams are, are, are playing it on a weekly basis and it's an addition to it it will never replace um, it's, it's not a challenge to football it's, it's not but I think it should be part of us that we've, we've we're playing you know a five a five a side version and um, and that becomes the norm for people Um but using the ball and playing to the goals, and and the dropout will be that technically will produce some players that will be better decision makers on the ball when they come to play football. I think that's 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 one thing. Um, do I suspect that we'll see more leagues? Yeah. Why? So if junior leagues can sort of see the benefit of it and think, well, yeah, players will love playing it. They'll come back for more. That'll help reduce dropout. Um, so I, I think we'll see more specific futsal leagues. I think we'll see more specific coaches that have got a real knowledge of futsal. Um, and I think they'll come from football. I think there'll be it'll be football coaches getting another string to the bow. 
Um, I think, you know, and there's no harm in being a futsal specialist, but there, there is going to be a need for futsal specialist coaches. Um, and there's, you know, be proud of that and, and really get the technical detail of the game to share with other people. But that, yeah. Do I see it as a, on, on TV every week? I'm not so sure, but I'm not sure TV's the answer. I think there's, you know, we're streaming. Mm. So all the National League games that will be streamed probably from next season. Um, streaming probably is the way. Um, the real thing in its advantage is that sort of, because of all the goals, kids love it. So there's more goal action and more clips. Um, so that'd be good. Um, I think the women's game's going to grow. The women's teams, national women's team will be will be in place. Um, I think it'll be firmly embedded within um, the boys and girls elite programmes because it's, it's kind of been around the Premier League now for six, seven years. So it is, it's not going to go away. Um, and then I think the, the real thing that I would like is, is just seeing kids playing on these park areas. If we got some of that, that would... Again, and, and going away from structured stuff to kids just playing. Because um, that just seems like a massive opportunity that we're, we're not taking at yeah. the moment. Great stuff. Um, just going to finish off with some of the regular questions that we're, we're trying to ask everyone who comes on the show. What would be the, over your career, what would you say has been the best investment that you've made in yourself as a coach? Yeah, but best, best investment is probably time. Time in myself. Um, and sort of being around other sometimes like-minded people but other people um, spend, spending the time with other people with that are willing to share ideas I think, I think that's the thing um, and having people that you, you're willing to chat to because the, that, that's where you, sometimes you've got an idea you want to try it and you just need a bit of help and, and understand that that's actually the right thing to do um, and and, and it's not formal it's, it's having a, a mate having a buddy that you can chat through things with um, and just spending that time chatting rather than beating your head against a brick wall thinking nah this, this can't be right we're actually more often than not it probably is and, and, and then kind of having a go at, at stuff and, and having that investment in yourself to, to be spend time doing it don't rush from this place to the next place to the other place but, but go and have a go and start to understand why you're doing what you're doing um, and I think that's that, that's the best thing you can do it's, it, and it's not I think you, you have a stage where you, you've got to you've got to sort of copycat's fine to get you going but then invest in yourself to go do you know what I'm, I really need to work out what's going on here yeah. and, and that's that's pretty key yeah and I suppose this next one links nicely into that I think you alluded to it anyway which would be if, you know, if you were to go back and and, and see yourself starting out, what, mm. what advice uh, would you give to yourself starting out? Either well, both as a coach and then yeah. as a futsal coach. Yeah, I, I think um, start. Yeah, if I was starting out now, just go and do stuff because I, I think when I start to look back, there is you get into things that you you, you don't you don't know why you're in them at the time. Um, but actually, they, they become really really useful for you. So just go and just go and try it. And then, and then not beating you, not beating yourself up ridiculously, but actually try and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, you know, it's like anything. You, you look back, oh, you think, oh, cool, I did that. Well, actually, it's all right to go through that process of of working out. So I think you can get so much from courses, you can get so much from chatting to other people. But then at some point, you've got to go. 
I've, I've got to go and get my hands dirty here and, and, and just try things. And that, but at the same time, the, the shortcut comes from the advice people give you. Um, you know, I, I, critical. It's so crit- so you, you, we've spoken before we started, before we hit record, you were saying about you've got yourself a mentor, mm. Steve, Dan in, in Chester. So yeah. what's some of the, adv- the best advice that he's given you? Yeah, no, yeah, so, you need you need different people in so I think it's having like a committee of people around you um, and, and that, that's so that's been critical so so as, as I've gone on my futsal journey Queen so the last three or four years I've had to go back literally start from scratch and learn a new sport that that was kind of my decision I made thinking I was I was listening to other people and they were talking another language and they were seeing they were seeing a lot more detail in in the game than what I was doing. So, to get over that hurdle, I'd I'd got to get round good technicians to under, to see what they were seeing and chat through what they were doing and chat with players and be around the best players and 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 work through problems with people. So I think having a like having a real technical person that's one person. Um, Steve Tones is um, works with, with the partials as a. Um, is, is, is he psychologist is he lifestyle is he mentor um, we go and walk and talk and so in, in and out of competition so um, tomorrow I meet up we will go for a walk by the river at Chester we work, we will go to the woods which sounds a bit dodgy but actually <laughs> no, no, and he's got the science behind it that if you if you sat opposite somebody it's quite different than walking alongside them and the, the conversation ebbs and flows and and it's an open book and we talk a little bit about what I want to talk about and we talk about what he wants to talk about and you get stuff off your chest and Steve's got because again he understands football he probably would admit he's probably not a futsal technician um, understands the players that we work with we talk about all sorts of stuff so I think and, and it's a chance to offload on someone so having someone like that again quite different than if I'm having a conversation with Scoobs or with Mark Forrest about technical stuff relate to the game then at the same time from a coach head perspective there's other people in the team that you know I'd, I'd go to for, for advice around around coach education and and that's a different so you need the different people and then I think you've also got to keep someone so my wife's great because she goes hey you just you're losing the plot here you're doing too much of this you're not spending time doing that and I know I've probably gone over the line in terms of Either over committing to something, or and she keeps quite keeps me quite grounded in in what I need to be doing. So you know you, you need you need a, a team around you to make sure that you you're on the right track. Um, I think if you have got a skills gap, you've got to go and find people that's going to help you with that skills gap. So Premier League and, and E Triple P talks about coach competencies. So being aware about being aware of what you're strong about, I think is quite good. But then. You know, if, if there's gaps that need filling, go and get the people around you that's going to help you, and and and, and that's just chatting to people and and then thinking it through and trying to apply it. Yeah, and sometimes we're not sure about our own gaps and our own blind spots because that you know, that's what they are. So having those critical friends around us is becomes ever more important, I imagine. Yeah, and and yeah, and and they're quite. I think Steve's really clever because he never tells you. But you come out knowing full well what you what you've got to do next, and and my dad was really good at that as well, and um, outstanding at it. And and yes, yeah, so if you've got people that's willing to, and I've still not cracked yet how he does what he does by 
telling you but not telling you um, but and he's got another knack of just appearing in tournament when you needed to have a chat with someone he just kind of appears on your shoulder mm-hmm. um, but it's great I mean it, one story from him was again we get we get we get into the semi in, in Sardinia and, and I'm thinking flipping it we've you know we've drawn this game we've not really ripped the world apart are we doing the right thing and he just went no you've got a semi-final this afternoon stop being stupid you know that's that was the you know get out the group win your quarter yeah. win your semi you know let, let's be real about this and great advice just from you know stick to your plan it's it's working the lads are right they're fit they're, you know you're going to be super strong and it's just having that other perspective on things yeah what have you seen read or heard recently that has had an impact on your own way of thinking or coaching uh, I think yeah the city thing's interesting I see them a lot and I think I mean, we talked a bit, a little bit about that, about the the, the linkage. I'm I'm seeing the more I'm seeing City, the more that's. So, I'm, if I have a question, is futsal the right thing for football? That's sort of backing up that thinking, and and the Barcelona message that you know just come and see the game and understand the game. I think that that's critical. Um, I get a little bit confused about with, with technology. I think that's my beef at the moment about whether it's good or bad. Is it too much? Um, I think it and I'm, I'm, I'm a, the jury's out I'm thinking about my journey I came on my bike this morning and um, so my sat-nav's guiding me and it, it's funny you look at the set so I thought I, I kind of knew I've been here in the car and I'd got no right direction but in the car's different than on your bike yeah you're not going to ride your bike down the M62 it are you? wasn't really happening <laughs> so so there was going to have to be so initially it's wanted to send me down at the, the cycle track the Pennine Trail, which I know is shut because of some bridge building work. So again, it's that. So it was going to send me on a bum steer straight away. So again, do you trust technology? Do you not? Um, the route, route it's took me is the most direct route. I've come through council estates, down footpaths. It, it has took me an absolute way that I would no chance, I would not have known which way to come. Um, had I not had it in my ear telling me which way to go, you know, 200 yards, you're going to do a left or a right. So I've seen some places that I would not have seen. So in that respect, it's good. Um, could I take myself back that route? No. So again, that worries me. Because if I'd worked out myself, I'd have been able to get myself back to the dentist. But I don't know now. So I'm going to have to rely on it to get me back. Mm. So again, in me learning, that's kind of a little bit odd. Um, would I have got here as quick? Probably not. But I'd have probably have a better idea where my route was. It's, it's, it's that whole... Thing if you've got someone telling you and shaping you um, my phone did say I was going to get soaking wet going there and coming back looks alright to me still dry yep so that was rock so it's giving me there's a balance isn't there about yeah. duff information what information you're taking in there is so much information out there it's a problem and and I'm coming down a track there's a school in Widnes where I've, I've come past today and the kid there's a path and they're all coming to school in the opposite direction I'm riding my bike probably 50% of the kids had the heads looking at the phones and I'm thinking are they missing what's going on here because they're missing the, the other 50% probably often try to nudge the mates and knock me off my bike but that's another story <laughs> but they, I guess that's fair play and witness but I, I, I do think are they missing what's going on around them you know yeah by all means use the technology to shortcut and help but then what information you're taking out of stuff you know so Prozone gives you I don't know a 50 page book but actually what you're going to take out of it to make your team better mm. um, I don't know does it give us 1% do 
do the 1% matter when actually we've still not got the 40% right? I, 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 I'm, I'm really confused by it all. Yeah. And, I, and I think we just have to be really clear about, the, the one thing about me sat down that was good, I knew the end point where I wanted to get this morning. I knew how to get to your house. Yeah. So actually it's helped me get to your house, and, but I knew where I wanted to go. If I'd have just put in Jack in Liverpool, it wouldn't have been any help anyway. It might find it that one day though, wouldn't it? <laughs> the way it's going. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't be riding my bike. Yeah. It's what, it's, you know. So I, I think if, you, if you've got a clear, clear plan in what you... So, but how do you get that clear plan? Mm. You know, I knew where what, that I had to get to yours and, and it's, it's that. So the technology thing, I'm, the jury's really, really out on yeah. me and, and, I'm, and I'm seeing it all the time that, that we're sometimes getting a bit bamboozled by it. One of our former colleagues, Tessa Payne, showed me a, a quote... Uh, that ironically did the rounds on Twitter and it was uh, from an account called Blunt Educator which is worth a follow and it said um, technology is a a beautiful thing but if you can't teach without it then you shouldn't be teaching with it because I guess it's understanding you you said you you knew where you wanted to get to so if you've got that plan in mind and then going well how am I going to use technology to to help me rather than going starting with the technology to fit, it's putting the cart before the horse, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah, or the other way around. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know what it meant in yeah. my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you mentioned, uh, so that was something we talked about before that you'd changed your mind about. And then you mentioned about, um, you'd seen a, a documentary recently, was it on Churchill? Yeah, no, he, he was, yeah, it was, no, it was the film that's out, The Longest uh, right. Day or that's right. whatever it's called. I saw that on um, on Saturday night. Um, and he he's, part of his thing was, um, he needed to understand about I think there's, there's that sort of really set a scene in about being English real big history lesson for me it was really really good so he um, he, he there was a chance of my, my history of the second world war was poor but he was saying that you know they, they were trying to forge a, a peace deal um, with the Germans that, that part of the government wanted to do um, Churchill wasn't quite sure about that so he went out to the public and asked them what he thought and to a man, they were like, no, we'll, we'll fight with pitchforks, we'll let them come over, you know, kids, women were all saying, no, let's fight, let's fight, let's fight. And, and I think that's part of our mentality about being English, about not that we want to fight everybody, but actually, um, you know, understand what we're about, understand what our culture's about, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, and, and take that with us. So being organised, um, being ready to go toe-to-toe, I, I think is a good thing. Um, and being really resilient in what we do and um, that's messages that, that comes through loud and t- clear with, and, and just finding a way finding a way to get over the line um, which is, I guess is what Churchill did and he, made, he had some tough decisions to make but he got over the line and it's the same with England teams we've got to do exactly the same uh, I think that's a, a great point to, to end it on Ian thanks very much for this it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you your experiences with the with the national teams uh, and I'm sure that they'll get a, a great response if people want to connect with you more or find more about what, what you're up to uh, e- EMB Futsal is it? Yeah EMB Futsal on, on Twitter yeah. um, email's always good yeah. ian.bateman at the fa.com um, yeah if people are with, with Futsal it's, it's a small community um, or smallish community but I think it's it's a real growing community so any but it's a real open and 
uh, group of people that want to make things better. So um, yeah, get in contact. Yeah. We're here to help. And we will we'll certainly be doing this again because we made that many notes and we've probably covered about half of what we intended to. <laughs> so Brilliant. great stuff. Cheers, Ian. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed listening. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time. It's, um, a, di- it's a different culture. It's a different environment. Yeah. Well, this is a first. There's somebody at the door. <laughs> Hi, mate. You all right? Is it not going to be too loud, is it? Recording something in. So, how long are you going to be? About, um, about the best part of an hour. Jeff next door. Hi, Jeff.